there's such the struggle to try and say what we're not that you lose track of who you are if you spend so much time defining what you're not. And so we're trying to bring people back into that idea of what we are. Welcome to the second season of The Sound of IR, a podcast that seeks to educate aspiring interventional radiologists about the clinical practice of IR. I'm Narina DeSoma, a fourth-year medical student at University of Illinois College of Medicine at Peoria. And I'm Eric Winterholler, a third-year medical student at Western Michigan University Homer Stryker, MD, School of Medicine. We work with a great team of students, residents, and attendings using the power of podcasts to explore topics in interventional radiology. As the host of today's episode, we hope you find it both educational and enjoyable. We're very excited to introduce this next episode of The Sound of IR, in which Noreen and I will discuss the anthropology of IR with Dr. Eric Keller. Dr. Eric Keller graduated medical school and completed a Master's of Medical Humanities and Bioethics, both at Northwestern. He is at Santa Clara Valley Medical Center in San Jose for his transitional year, and then will start his integrated IR training at Stanford. Eric, I know both of us are really excited for this episode. Yeah, definitely. I attended SIR 2018 in LA this year and got to see Dr. Eric Keller speak at one of the plenary sessions. And ever since then, I've taken an interest in his work and have uh, followed it through. That's incredible. I'm jealous you got to see him talk in person. Um, Well, I'm very excited. I read his article um, and was thrilled to talk to him on this episode. Um, And just so our listeners know, Dr. Eric Keller was published in Journal of Vascular and Interventional Radiology in 2017. Um, The article title is Who We Are and What We Can Become, an Analysis of Professional Identity Formation in IR. So we referenced this article at various points throughout the episode, so um, thought it would be um, interesting for you to have uh, beforehand. So we hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Eric, thank you for agreeing to speak with us today about your research on anthropology of interventional radiology. Of course, I'm honored to be on the show and get to share some of the stuff that I've been doing. Eric, what helped you decide IR is what you wanted to pursue? Yeah, I think that I had a little bit of a atypical journey in that I originally thought I wanted to do something like internal medicine or psychiatry. That's actually why I pursued a extra degree in medical humanities and bioethics was I was interested in end-of-life care. And through that, with my thesis, I ended up getting interested in this idea of studying tribalism in medicine different cultures of different specialties, how that's emerged over time, kind of history of specialization. And to do so, I started asking around about, well, what's the ideal case example if I'm going to do original research? And pretty much unanimously, I kept having the specialty come up, which I'd never heard of, but interventional radiology. And they were like, that is, if you want to figure out how things can go well or poorly with interactions between physicians, that is the mecca of interactions for you. So go talk to them. And so I went and talked to them, and they were interested in it. And so we chose to focus on uterine fibroid embolization with the IR OB-GYN relationship, and then endovascular procedures with vascular surgery and IR as kind of a contrast. And that's how, that's how I got started with it. I kind of fell in love with my research subject, essentially. That's fascinating. I really appreciate that journey as it's, it's um, that's not a common journey for sure. So we appreciate this perspective. Briefly, to help our listeners, um, can you explain to us the method you use to gather anthropological data? Sure. It's evolved over time because, you know, very early on, I realized that in order to study something that's not very well defined, like 
tribalism in medicine that actually has not been studied very much at all, you can't really do a survey because you don't know the right questions to ask. And with the survey, you get exactly what you ask. And if it's kind of a charged topic like turf wars, again, you tend to get very filtered answers. So I couldn't necessarily do a survey. Beyond that, I didn't know what else to do. So I learned about these different methods from sociology and anthropology. Um, one in particular that I really like is, is called grounded theory, and it's been used since the 1950s. And the idea of it is that before that, a lot of sociology research was basically if I was a sociologist sitting down and coming up with a theoretical model on my own, like a brain in a box, and like, this is how I'm describing the world. And there was a push to be like, well, we should probably be more scientific and ground our evidence in some sort of empirical data. And that's how grounded theory came to be, was that it's meant for a situation where it's a, something not very well-defined and you're trying to build a theory from within. And because of that, the thing that makes it weird is that you don't start with a hypothesis. The entire idea is that you couldn't really start with a hypothesis because you don't know what you're going to find. And so instead, it's this constant iterative, inductive, deductive process where you're observing and doing these interviews in a very certain way and then very carefully coding them that then informs future interviews until you start to get very consistent information and that kind of builds your hypothesis and theories. Over time, the problem with that is it takes a really long time and tends to produce really wordy results. Like anthropology papers tend to be like 50 pages long and that's not going to fly in clinical research and clinical journals. And so I've now adapted the method to what I call dynamic analysis, which is kind of a more efficient version of that, meshing together some different qualitative methods to be able to take that like year or two year long process into a couple months. So that's now what I use, but that's kind of the, the background in it. That's fantastic to hear that you've been able to put such a scientific approach to something that can be very hard to, I'm sure, study. Um, it's great for us aspiring interventional radiologists to have somebody looking at the field from that perspective. So thank you. Well, it's been different. It's like uh, physicians, as far as research subjects, are some of the most difficult people to <laughs> to study and pin down, one, and Two, trying to get this sort of stuff published in clinical uh, journals has been a difficult feat and one with a lot of despair and challenges along the way, but at least I've had a little bit of success once in a while. Oh, absolutely. So Eric, you've studied other specialty identities. Can you give us a brief overview of your findings? Yeah, so I've, I've been honored to get the chance to study over... Um, 250 physicians from different specialties at different institutions in the United States. And in trying to make sense of that, I've kind of grouped specialty identities into three main categories that are further differentiated along three axes that seem to be really important when you ask physicians, you know, why they do what they do in a given specialty. So I divide specialty identities into diagnosticians, managers, and fixers. And so managers are, would be like an internist. They talk much more about managing different conditions or patient populations. Fixers would be like your orthopedic surgeons. I fix this problem. I fix hearts if I'm a cardiothoracic surgeon. Then diagnosticians are like emergency medicine, pathology, diagnostic radiology. 
where it's about knowing a lot about a lot of different things and kind of efficiently coming up with an answer or triaging patients or coming to a conclusion. And then the three axes along that are broad versus specific thinkers. So you have broad would be like diagnostic radiology, internal medicine. It's about knowing a lot about a lot of different things as opposed to specific thinkers are like your cardiothoracic surgeons, where it's like, I'm the mitral valve person. Don't ask me about the aortic valve because I'm the mitral valve person. It's all about depth for them. And then for the answers that they seek, you have complex versus definitive answer seekers. So complex would be like your internist. There's a caveat to everything. There's, no ab- there's very few absolutes, right? It's much more about trying to explore and cast this broad net all the time and everything's always changing, the differential's always changing, whereas definitive thinkers like surgeons, radiologists, things are superior, inferior. It's not that everything's black and white, but there's a lot more hard lines that they draw in their thinking. And then finally, there's public visibility. So the idea that you know, when people think about a doctor, they think more about like an internist. That's a very publicly visible specialty, whereas diagnostic radiology isn't as publicly visible. And the interesting thing with that one is that it correlates with the perception of value of your specialty from outside your specialty. So the idea that if a emergency medicine physician was interpreting a patient's CT to them in the emergency room, that wouldn't seem that weird. But if a diagnostic radiologist was like even a cardio, a cardiovascular radiologist was talking to someone about their heart disease, that would be met with more skepticism because radiology, since it's less visible, tends to be perceived as less of a niche skill. It's commoditized much more because of that visibility, whereas like being an internist or being a surgeon is seen as much more publicly visible and thus the complexity of it is better appreciated. So that, those tend to be the big themes that have come out of talking to those different physicians and how people tend to perceive themselves and think about value in medicine. As you were talking about the different kinds of thinkers and identities within medicine, I could almost put names to each one of those of right. different physicians I've worked with over the years. Yeah. Well, in your rotations, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they are the people that you interact with when you talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Of course. And through your work using grounded theory and looking at interventional radiology, what is it you found? Yeah, well, lots of different things. Would you be more interested in their interactions with other specialties or more of how the specialty sees itself, which is more of what I I talked about recently at the conference in Los Angeles? I think let's focus on how the specialty sees itself. Yeah, so there's been this interesting transition. I, I started studying kind of interventional radiology fellows before and after their fellowship to see, well, how are their professional values changing? What are those professional values? And I did this in the fellowship that would have been 2015, 2016 at four institutions. And the big themes are things that probably wouldn't be that surprising to a lot of people as far as people saying that they're interested in innovation, thinking on their feet, working with their hands. But what very quickly emerged was that I kept hearing these two narratives that were super consistent, like almost like there were two archetypes of people that went into interventional radiology that I, that I named the uh, radiologic surgeon and surgical radiologist. And based on basically how they responded to my first question, because I would usually start with exactly as you guys asked me, you know, well, how did, what was your journey to interventional radiology? And their response to that question basically predicted everything else that they were going to say. 
with along these two different stories, one of which is the surgical radiologist, which is the person that was the biomedical engineering student, mechanical engineer, initially interested in radiology, and even thought that maybe they wanted to do pure diagnostic radiology, tended to find IR later as a means to have more patient interaction, work with their hands more. And for them, then after fellowship, they were much more interested in splitting their time between those two identities because they really saw themselves as both a diagnostic and interventional radiologist. This other person, the radiologic surgeon, it tended to be the person that would say like, well, I always thought I was going to do orthopedic surgery or I always thought I was going to do neurosurgery, but then something happened. Like they didn't really, they did the rotation and didn't like the personalities or they didn't like the work-life balance. And they found IR as kind of a surgical field, but having the better environment or better personalities gravitate over there. And for them, diagnostic radiology was never really on the table. And so they would use words like purgatory or it's a means to an ends. And so then if they ended up in a position where they had to split their time between those two roles, it didn't jam very well with them because for them it was much more, they see themselves very much as surgeons. These tend to be the individuals now that push very much that IR should be a surgical field and see themselves that way, whereas you have this other cohort which sees themselves very much as radiologists. And so I'd say that was the main thing then, and then I repeated it this year, and the big transition really with that is that those two archetypes are still there, but there is a shift in one, what people are concerned about, and two, that there's kind of this third group that's emerging. I think everyone talks about clinical care and IR, and Two years ago, the thought with that was that, well, that sounds nice, but I don't really know what that means. And when people would describe their interactions with patients as IR, it was mainly paraprocedural. And now, two years later, it seems like people are describing a lot more humanistic values, like talking to me about being present with patients, trying to make this connection with them. And along that vein, you get this third group, which when I've studied uh interventionalists and medical subspecialties, so like your interventional cardiologist and interventional pulmonologist, they tend to attract this third archetype, which you're now starting to see in IR. And that's the person that if I had to lump myself in one of those three, I would say is myself, is the person that was interested in internal medicine. It was really all about this like patient interaction type thing. And then they found IR later on because they realized that, well, in addition to these patient interactions and having this relationship, I also want to then be able to intervene. And so that's what I call the clinical proceduralists. And you're starting to see them emerge in the people going into fellowship right now as well. So those are some of the the main things. And then there's a lot of other sub findings as well. That's the difficult, that's the, both the, the benefit and the challenge of this sort of research is that you when you open Pandora's box, you tend to get a lot, a lot of findings that then you have to sift through. Yeah, it sounds like it. And um, I really appreciate that distinction between the radiologic surgeon and the surgical radiologist and the schematic that you have in your paper. It's, it's a great way for um, trainees to really reflect on, um, on their professional identity. Um, so I thought that was fantastic. One question that I did have, um, just to follow up on the humanistic qualities, um, do you feel that the humanistic qualities were mostly peri-procedural or truly, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but um, truly more of a clinical um, orientation? Yeah, I guess it depends on what you're, when you say clinical, what it means. So the thing is that is how IRs are talking now like an internist? No, not at all. 
Like as much as that, I think that that's a very positive thing in interventional radiology. We are more like surgeons or proceduralists and you can be a very humanistic, clinically minded proceduralist, but that doesn't mean that you're an internist. Those are two very different roles and two different types of people. So yes, it's still tied to the procedure, but I think appropriately so. Whereas before it was, I don't really know what that means. Now it's that, well, like issues of futility is a big thing in IR about, you know, if I don't believe that this is going to do any good or really meet these patients' goals long-term, why are we doing it? Am I going to stand up and advocate for the patient just because someone is asking me to do this procedure? Am I going to go evaluate them clinically and give my own clinical opinion, or am I just going to take that procedure and, and do it, like an imaging study in a way? And that's more of the shift that I see in more of when I think of clinical IR where I see it, but it's not necessarily, it's not the same language in the same way that uh, internists or psychiatrists talk about their clinical interactions when I've studied them. So from your perspective, what does it mean to be a more, quote, clinical interventional radiologist? Yeah, I think, I think humanistic is probably the better word in my opinion, which is that it's focus on what Aristotle would say is the central telos of medicine and healthcare, which is healing persons. This idea that people are unique individual and that the idea is not a crusade against death. It's about promoting health and healing these individuals. And in order to heal an individual, you really have to understand that person on an individualistic level. And so I think what clinical IR is, is really humanism in IR, humanistic IR, which is a dedication to understanding your patient's values and how your procedure or your intervention or lack of intervention fits into their clinical narrative. How does it fit into their life? And are you really achieving their goals? Or are you achieving someone else's goals that, you know, that they think is best for the patient? And maybe that's just a dangerous road to go down. And something that I think that I've heard a lot of IR struggle with going back to that futility idea of that, you know, it's that classic, um, if we want to, if, if you want to use principalism ethics, it's the classic clash between beneficence and autonomy of that you want to respect patients' wishes, but if you think that something is great for them, you know, and they don't want to do it, you have to balance those two. And ultimately, we let people make decisions for themselves. But so it's advocating for patience is what I would say is what it means to me. I don't necessarily think that that is the common interpretation of it. So that would be a different question if you're more interested in how I think most people interpret it within IR that I've talked to. Okay. I think that brings some really good context to what it means to be a more humanistic or clinical interventional radiologist, as some people have said. How do you feel your findings have changed the way the field of IR is perceived by IR? as it is in a journal that's commonly read by interventional radiologists, how do you feel like it'll find the perception of IR within IR? Yeah, it's a very, it's a very meta question. I, um, I'm not, I mean, I'm not exactly sure. I think that a lot of what this sort of research does, it just provides the language for people to then make sense of their own realities and challenges. And that's really been the most significant thing that I've noticed is that I think as you know, you were mentioning about that graph is that 
that was something that really trended on Twitter with people that resonated with people to say that, oh, this is who I am, or now I understand kind of why there's this other group in IR that seems different than how I see myself. And it kind of brings a language and brings validates people's realities and then lets them discuss it and talk about it. And that's been mainly what I've been hoping to do. And I think that's why I was very honored to be asked to participating in that plenary session was saying that, well, what is what does this really mean going forward, this division? And, you know, if we look back at the history of different specialties and how they've changed over time, what, what does that mean for IR going forward? So that's what I'm hoping, that's what I've hoped to do with it is provide a language and then maybe provide some guidance to people about, well, what does it mean to be a clinical IR and what are the implications if we assume that this is what it means? I think your work has really gone a long way to helping us have a framework to establish a professional identity as a specialty. I remember when you were speaking in the plenary session, there was a point at which you surveyed the audience to see how people identified this group of interventional radiologists. Can you explain to our listeners kind of what your view was like from the stage as you went through that survey? Yeah, uh, well, I can't take credit for that idea. That was all uh, Robert Bogelzang's idea. We were sitting in his office rehearsing kind of our interplay since we were sharing the podium and we were really trying to emphasize this idea and what I think the two of us believe from this research is that well perhaps what the correct identity is for IR is not trying to say well we're surgeons or well we're clinicians or we're radiologists but how do we strike a balance between those identities and have a dynamic equipoise between them was one patient maybe you need to be more of a surgeon another patient you need to be more of a radiologist we were saying like, well, we could say that with words, but maybe the more powerful thing is to actually show it in real time, the division within it and how we really are a, a hybrid, a chimera. And so what I, we did was that since we were talking about being a clinician, surgeon, radiologist, was that we went through and had the audience raise their hand for each of the three saying like, if you had to choose one, which would you most identify with? It actually worked out perfectly because it was basically a third, a third, a third. And it was really great doing it from up there. I thought that it went off well, and I got a lot of positive feedback with doing that. So I'm I'm glad it I'm glad it worked out that way, and I hopefully it meant something meaningful to people. It definitely did to me as I looked around, and I I kind of got that similar feel that it was about a third for each one that was was said there: surgeon, radiologist, and clinician. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope that it is that. I mean, it's unfortunate, I think, that uh, if you go on to, you know, the different forums, whether it be the, uh, there was this like interview living spreadsheet this year with the interview season or on Zoom Doctor Network or even SIR Connect, you have a lot of these debates about kind of the proper orientation of IR towards surgery or radiology. And it just seemed to the two of us in our interviews that there's such the struggle to try and say what we're not, that you lose track of who you are if you spend so much time defining what you're not. And so we're trying to bring people back into that idea of what we are. Hmm. I like that point. That's interesting. So up until recently, um, the field of IR um, has been a fellowship out of DR. Um, did you study the anthropology of DR? Yeah, um, a little bit uh, in some of my other work. What were you most interested in with them? In particular, we were wondering how 
trainees could transition from that environment or anthropology to what you found in IR? Transition as far as like, I'm a diagnostic person and now I want to be an interventional person? I guess so. Like you mentioned earlier, a lot of a lot of trainees see it as a means to an end anyways. Um, but there might be others that, like you said, are surgical radiologists. Um, and so they really went into DR um, with that love for DR and then kind of discovered they wanted more patient contact. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, those are two, you know, very different people. I, I mean, the radiologic surgeon is the person that, like you said, the means to an end. So for them, it's never really about DR. It's just a, a tool or a skill set. And so for them, you know, IR is great. And maybe the, and the independent pathway is perfect for that type of individual that knows in medical school that it's all about IR for me. That's the person that I am. Hopefully that person also likes diagnostic radiology because I think that's a core part of what makes us unique. But that's here nor there. The diagnostic person is someone who's a bit different. So people that go into diagnostic radiology, if you ask them like why you do what you do, you tend to get this description about like, well, I knowing something about everything, having to know something about everything from the brain to the big toe, they like to say. And it's a lot about being this diagnostician. Then in a short amount of time, you get to have these interesting cases and come up with an answer. And it also tends to, in that sense, be a very definitive thinkers. I have this way that I break down clinical or uh, um, specialty identities. And so radiology is that idea that they, they're broad thinkers. They like knowing something about everything. And then diagnostic reality is also very definitive thinkers and that things are superior and inferior. There are cutoffs with Hounsfield's units and et cetera and what have you. And so that tends to be the individual that's attracted to diagnostic radiology. It's also this idea of technology, but you tend to see that in surgery now as well. So that's not necessarily a great divider anymore. But that's the person that sometimes those people do find IR later, but also sometimes they become body radiologists or breast radiologists that also do a lot of procedures and they're perfectly happy doing that. And for that individual, you know, I think that perhaps it's better than to do something like the ESIR pathway or something where you could have more time to feel it out and maybe divide things up a bit, or maybe you do the independent residency later in the two years. So you can do a like diagnostic fellowship and combine it with IR, which a lot of people do that as well. I think a lot of it is, you know, going back to knowing yourself and trying to figure it out for yourself. But those tends to be the trends in diagnostic radiology versus the radiologic surgeon that comes up a lot. It feels like with the three training tracks, be that the independent fellowship, ESIOR, or the integrated pathway, that it kind of opens up to different types of personalities who can enter interventional radiology, depending on whether or not they identify more as a diagnostician, as somebody who likes to know something about everything like you were describing. Would you agree with that? I completely agree. I mean, there was a lot of I mean, bringing up that, that spreadsheet again, which as an anthropologist was just a treasure, treasure trove to me, you know, getting to watch that unfold this year. Um, there was a lot of angst about this idea of the three pathways and how difficult it is and stuff. I think it's a very nice thing. So if you look back at the history of different specialties, most specialties didn't give you that much flexibility and options to try and be who you want to be. And I think for IR, it's important because you have a situation where you have a lot of different people in that. It is this kind of physician chimera. And so you really need to 
give a pathway for those different people or you're going to end up cutting out a large portion of what makes you who you are. For sure. I, I'm in complete agreement there. Um, we're going to transition just a little bit here. And uh, in the future on the Sound of IR, we have some episodes planned for specific treatments in which there are turf wars. And we'd love to ask you about your perspective coming from your research. Yeah, on turf wars, what, what are you most interested in about turf wars or just kind of some general highlight? Um, I think we'll focus on particular procedures and kind of how they've played out between different specialties. Does that sound okay? Sure, sure. So the first one I'd like to talk about is the treatment of uterine fibroids as an ongoing turf war between OBGYN and interventional radiology. Yes, I think one of the most surprising findings with that to interventionalists is that if you ask IRs about that turf war, they will describe it as such, right? Is that this has been a long turf war with OB-GYNs about that they want to do hysterectomy or want to do myelomectomy rather than referring patients to for UFE, and if they do, it's always the person who's on Medicare or Medicaid or what have you, and this is an ethical travesty. If you talk to OB-GYNs, almost none of them perceive that a turf war even exists. So it's one thing to feel like you're in a long turf war with someone. It's another thing for that person to not even realize that they're in a turf war with you. And a lot of that comes from the way that they define themselves. So IRs, if you ask them, you know, what do you do? you tend to get a list of the procedures that they do because that's how we tend to classify ourselves is that, well, you know, I do some dialysis work over here, some Y90, or, you know, I primarily do Y90 and chemoembolizations. And because of that, if you're not referring me for a procedure I do, you're not only not valuing the procedure, you're in essence not valuing me because that's how I define my value in healthcare. OB-GYNs, in contrast, don't define themselves by the procedures that they do. So an OB-GYN doing a hysterectomy versus a myelomectomy versus UFE has nothing to do with the way that they perceive themselves and their value in healthcare. For them, they see themselves much more as managing certain patient populations. So if you say, like, what do you do? You tend to get this, well, I take care of women between, between the ages of 15 to 55, or I take care of primarily women with complex endometriosis and stuff like that. And because of that, because it's based on the patient population, them referring for one thing or another isn't really a salty issue for them. It's not, not seen as a turf war. It's not even contextualized as an issue, in fact. And so that's part of the problem there is that one is how they perceive the they perceive that, but then also how they perceive the ends. So the problem is, is that when we say what's best for the patient in IR, a lot of times we really capitalize and really push this minimalistic idea that the least invasive procedure is the best. And so UFE, if you can try it, is going to be the best thing most of the time. Whereas in OB-GYN, they tend to use this word definitive. And for them, it's much more about being definitive. And the only definitive option is hysterectomy. And so it plays out on multiple levels there, where on one thing you have people meaning different things when they say what's best for the patient and how they understand that in the culture of their specialty. And then also even how they contextualize their relationship with you based on how they see their role in healthcare. That's a lot of what came out of that work. Hmm. That's fantastic. Interesting. Endovascular procedures are another hot topic in the discussion of turf wars. Can you discuss IR versus interventional cardiology versus vascular surgery and the current state of that turf war? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. And just by circumstance, I ended up 
when I started doing my thesis work, I ended up choosing what I now believe are basically the two flavors of turf wars in medicine. It's either that I do something which that you should be sending me patients for and you're not, which is the IROBGYN example, right? Of that I think this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, but you don't believe it is. And then the other tying is that we both do the same thing and I should be the one doing it, which is the IR, I, interventional cardiology, IR, vascular surgery, or IR cardiology relationship. And for that one, again, you see that similar trend where the way that vascular surgeons understand their role and why they should be doing endovascular procedures is very different than the reason why IR believes they should be doing those procedures. For IR, it's very much, again, about the procedure that we invent these procedures, we see ourselves as innovators, and we find new ways to do things. And if anyone knows the procedure better, then no one knows the procedure better than us because we invented it tends to be the argument. Whereas for vascular surgeons, if you ask them what they do, they always, they use this phrase often about seeing themselves as the only true masters of vascular disease, so much so that they often will define the percent of arterial versus venous work that they do, the one that only specialties that do that. They'll be like, oh, you know, I do about 60% vein work and 40% arterial work. And because of that, they see themselves as it's less about being able to do the procedure the best. It's about understanding the full range of options and being able to offer the full range of options for vascular disease. And I'm the master of vascular disease, and so I should be doing these procedures and should be doing either the surgery or the endovascular procedure. And if I do the endovascular procedure and then have to convert to open, I can do that. I don't have to call someone else. And so, again, it's just a different way of looking at your role in healthcare and then also the end game. So for IR, again, it's that minimally invasive thing. So the endovascular thing, we should, most of the time, you're going to try unless you absolutely have to do the surgery. For vascular surgeons, they don't see it as much like that. For them, it's much more about this, a little bit more like the definitive thing where they talk a lot about well, you know, I could do it endovascularly, but I could also open it up. And, you know, based on this data, I believe that that's the long, longer term thing and I can make a small incision. So I'm just going to go with that route. It's much more about like that invasiveness doesn't weigh in. It doesn't have as much weight in the way that they weigh different clinical decisions. And so I think that's also what creates a little bit of the fire there is that IRs look at that and say like, well, why are you choosing the more invasive thing? Vascular surgeons look at IR and it's like, well, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. This is the term <laughs> always say in the interview with me, right? <laughs> it sounds like that's similar to what you were talking about earlier in that the interventional radiologist thinks that they do the procedure the best, whereas the vascular surgeon talks about they know the, disease. the entire organ system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's been an ongoing theme with this work and why I kept doing it was that when I started out studying turf wars, I had two advisors that disagreed about what they thought we would find. One of them felt like it was all about the money. It's all about money and ego, which if you ask most physicians, that's what they'll tell you too. Because in all these interviews, you know, I'm like, well, what, what's causing that? It's all money and ego, right? And then the other one, which I think is correct thought it was more about these identities and how people see themselves and perceive value and ends in healthcare. And that's been the recurrent theme is that, yes, money and ego is certainly lighter fluid on the fire, but the kindling is really that the United States healthcare system is kind of unique in how we do specialties, where there's not really a universal truth. Everyone gets to make their own truths, 
whereas the American College of Cardiology is the source of truth on cardiology, just like the Society of Interventional Radiology is the source of truth on IR. We don't have this overarching government body that says like, okay, guys, but for this sort of patient population, we should do X, Y, and Z first. And so that's what's made it a little bit unique and what makes turf wars theoretically more fiery and more of an issue in the United States. However, it's important to note that they're not only a United States thing, which goes back to the identity of different specialties, and that even if you have that person telling you that, you might still have this cultural difference that creates these communication barriers. So it sounds like there's some other systemic things that are playing into this, these questions we're asking as well. I think so. But I mean, you know, I've, I've done a lot of this work, but it's a very, it's a very small field. It's not, there's been a handful of anthropologists throughout history that have studied the cultures of different specialties. And then there's me and maybe a, one or two other people that publish on it in sociology. And that's pretty much it that I know of. Definitely no pioneer in this field. That's for sure. Well, if there's if there's value value in it, I think that people find it interesting. But it's funny in that when I give these when I give talks and present it at conferences, I never get an in between response. It, either people think that it's really great and really interesting and revolutionary, or they think it's complete BS and worthless methods and just making stuff up or anything else. So I never have an in between response huh. when I've given talks. Huh. I wonder whether that is. I'm not sure. So another part of your research looked at what it takes to become a good IR. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, um, it was something that I I asked the fellows in some of that um, semi-structured interviewing, uh, both the previous fellows and current ones, about after we'd kind of established rapport and talked about their journey, and then talked about would ask them about like, well, what, what values make a good interventional radiologist? And that question works on actually multiple levels because one is it, it helps me understand how you see yourself in the future of the specialty. It also helps me see how you perceive value within your specialty because it's going to be very different based on those specialty cultures that we were talking about earlier. And so for IR, you tend to see this blend between surgical and radiological values. So we mentioned some of them earlier. The surgical ones are things like working with my hands, thinking on my feet, getting to solve a problem. They use the word fix a lot, that it's much more about a tangible thing that I can fix and have that immediate gratification that I'm intervening. Uh, It's a lot more about getting to um, innovate with the thinking on their feet and the fast pace of it. And then for the radiological values, that's more of the knowing something about everything. And IRs, a lot of people are attracted to IR because you get to intervene on a lot of different organs and get to move all over and get to have this cerebral aspect. It's very visual, tangible. There's lots of technology. Those are all very radiology-heavy values. And then some of the things that are unique to IR as opposed to pure diagnostics or surgical fields that I've studied is really this push on one, innovation, And it's not that other fields don't value innovation, but they don't use it as like the end-all, be-all banner as much as IR does (laughs) of being like, we see ourselves as innovators and this is the greatest thing. So much so that extreme IR, I use in talks when I'm not talking to IR and everyone finds that to be the most interesting thing. The part Hmm. of our journal and part of our conferences is devoted solely to situations where like I did something so crazy that worked, right? It's (laughs) 
as a specialty that we we like highlight that. Most specialties would almost try and hide that, or you'd only see that in like M M&M and M and whatnot. So <laughs> that's a very unique IR thing. And the other unique IR thing is that there's this trend with that of that it's like an offensive defensive innovation where it's like needing to innovate to survive. Part of your research looked at what it takes to become a good IR. Can you explain what this means to you? Yeah. So one of the things I would always ask the the fellows both two years ago and uh, with the current fellows now is that after we had talked about their journey to interventional radiology, I was interested to know, well, what is the end game for for you? What, What makes a good interventional radiologist? What makes a successful interventional radiologist? And again, talking about those identities with the surgical radiologist and radiologic surgeon, it tends to be a blend between radiological values and surgical values in that they're same sort of things you would hear from diagnostic radiologists or your typical surgical specialty. The surgical values are things like thinking on your feet, working with my hands, um, a lot of the instant gratification. So they use the word fix a lot. Getting to fix like a tangible problem is really important to people. And then the diagnostic ones are things we were talking about earlier, like knowing something about everything is a big one. The technology aspect of it, the visual aspect of it is really big in diagnostic radiology, getting to kind of have these interesting cases and having a fast pace with it. And then you have some IR-specific values, which were really interesting. Two particular ones that I'd love to mention is that one is this idea of innovation. So it's not that other specialties don't have innovation. They just don't like fly it like their banner as much as IR does. So much so that when I give talks to other like specialty groups, I love to give the example of extreme IR in all caps in that we have this section of our journal and our conferences solely devoted to like extreme situations where we like save the day or something like that. And that's so unique. Like other specialties don't really celebrate that as much as IR does. And that's a very interesting cultural nuance or idiosyncrasy of IR. The other thing is with that innovation is that there's this weird dissidence between it being either offensive or defensive. Whereas part of the innovation is much more about like, I'm creating new special, I'm creating new open waters. If you've seen the um, keynote talk at SIR the last few years, a lot of times it's talking about like, these open waters and creating new procedures, uh, bring in more patients and do more things and stuff like that. But on the defensive side, you get this idea of having to adapt to survive, which is very unique to interventional radiology of this idea that, well, I need to innovate and create new procedures because people are just continuing to take procedures away from me. And that's a very unique aspect of especially a very unique um, insecurity. Although, I will say that it was much more prevalent two years ago than now. Now the big concern is much more about the IR diagnostic radiology relationship going forward. Thank you for that insight. Um, Our next question uh, is, how do you see the identity of IR changing with the genesis of the new integrated pathway? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll continue along the same lines as what I saw in that division between two years ago to now where I think that you'll probably start attracting more surgical or more radiologic surgeons into the specialty because that's essentially what I think that pathway is built for is the type of person that's like, I was going to be a neurosurgeon and then I found IR and now, you know, I'm a 
fourth year medical student and I want to do IR and that's the big thing for me and you know DR is more of a tool or means to an ends and so I think that you'll get more of those individuals in the specialty rather than the um, surgical radiologists. I also think that there's the potential to attract more of the clinical procedure lists, although I think you'll only attract those individuals if we further develop kind of what it means to be a humanistic interventional radiologist, because that's really what attracts those individuals. It's much more about how they get to have this connection with patients and then intervene rather than getting to intervene and have a connection with patients, if that makes sense, which tends to be how IRs talk about it. I, I completely agree that humanism and IR is uh, going to be moving its way on to the front of the field, really. How do you feel the Society of Interventional Radiology, as a specialty society acting as the face of IR, um, helps craft the identity of IR? Yeah, I mean... I think they have a huge part in it because kind of like what we were saying earlier about the unique thing about the U.S. and that they kind of get to be the end-all be-all about what it means to be an interventional radiologist. The rub that you run into, though, and that's a challenge for them, I think, and us going forward, is that that only works really well if you have good representation from everyone that you represent. And I think that a sense that I pick up a lot in my interviews is that SIR does a really great job representing academic IR, which gets a lot of the kind of limelight and a lot of the people that are up there much more of this academic sense and maybe a little less so on the private practice side. And so sometimes I get the sense that some private practice IRs feel like that, well, maybe SIR doesn't really understand the realities of what I'm going through. And you see that a bit on SIR Connect. So I think that they have a really important role to play in much like this anthropology research, validating people's reality and supporting the people that they represent because they get to define what it means to be an interventional radiologist, especially in the United States healthcare system and paradigm. Transitioning a little bit more to your path, um, you are just beginning your specialty training in IR. How do you hope to craft your identity? I hope not to lose a lot of the things that I think makes me unique, you know, and that if I'm saying that I'm a clinical proceduralist, a big part of what, about what clinical care means to me is about having that connection with patients. So I, I know going forward that I will not be happy unless I get to have at least some sort of longitudinal relationship with patients. That's a really big thing for me and a really big base part about what being a physician means for me. So I guess going forward for myself, I just want to be cognizant of that, of that when I'm signing up for things or how I kind of allocate my time and then ultimately becoming an attending and what practice I move into that I should prioritize that because that's ultimately what's going to bring fulfillment for me as an interventional radiologist is getting to be an advocate and understand how my procedures, you know, work into that person's narrative and how I can promote their health going back to the central telos of medicine. That's amazing. Thanks for oh, sharing. Eric, we want to thank you for joining us on The Sound of IR. Your efforts are one of the first pushes into exploring the anthropology of interventional radiology. Congratulations on your research and your work, and we wish you the best as you progress through your education in IR. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's been an honor, and I love talking about this stuff. So whenever people want to talk about it, I'm, I'm totally game. That's it for this episode. 
I thought that was a really fun discussion of turf wars between different specialties in interventional radiology, as well as that kind of cycle of uh, innovation within interventional radiology. I agree. Um, I also appreciated the opportunity to discuss identity formation and IR. Please keep an eye out for upcoming episodes this season, where we'll be discussing women in IR, stroke, dialysis care, tips, UFE, and more. If you have any questions or feedback, we'd really love to hear from you. If you're a practicing IR who'd like to get involved with the podcast, please email us at our email address, the sound of IR, all one word, at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at the underscore sound underscore of underscore IR. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast apps. See you next time.